This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, America, and uh, welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Today, going to come right out of the gate with somebody I cannot wait to hear her story. She has a new book out called Settle for More. Megan Kelly joins us right now. Entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program, Megan Kelly. How are you, Megan? Hi, Glenn. It's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I, I, shoot, we have a horrible connection. Can we uh, play with that as we talk? Um, Megan, I, uh, I haven't read your book yet. Just came out yesterday. Just got it actually this morning. Have thumbed through it. Um, I've read some excerpts from it. It's a pretty incredible story. Um, and, and you're ruffling some feathers um, right now in several areas. Um, can we can we start with with Donald Trump uh, and tell me if I have this story right? And this is what you wrote in the book or not. OK, um, the Donald Trump story, if if I may share a story, um, I was on your show one day when you were in lockdown. May I go farther than this? You remember this? <laughs> Keep going. OK. Um, and you were having significant security uh, yes. issues and and real death threats. Your family was uh, under attack um, and you had never seen anything about it. And I was, I think, maybe in Iowa or Nebraska. And I was waiting for you to uh, come into the studio. You were about an hour late um, and we had a conversation and it was a quite frightening time in your life. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that at all? Well, I mean, look, let me just start with this. This book, Settle for More, is about my life and my values, which I think are not just mine, but American values, at least used to be. Right? I don't know about today's day and age and these kids. Um, but <laughs> one of the things that you'll see throughout the book is that I think adversity is an opportunity uh, yes. to grow and become stronger. And I can certainly say that my year of Trump, as I describe it in the book, has done that for me. (laughs) And it it has been a difficult year in many ways. I mean, in particular, the security scares were bad and really unacceptable. No no journalist should have to go through that just to cover a candidate. Nobody should. Um, But I dealt with it, and I think I actually now have a bit of a blueprint for others potentially on how to deal with it. And I hope that when people close this book, they will understand that, you know, I I think you can grow if hard times come your way, and it's an opportunity to evolve. And as far as Trump and I go, um, I think we're in a better place now. 
can I, may I pursue this because of, of what was printed in the New York Times about what you wrote? And again, I'm sorry, I have not read the book. I just got it this morning. Um, but what the New York Times, I know, the New York Times um, spun this as what you were saying in the book was you knew that no one was going to come to your rescue. No one was standing by you. Uh, I don't necessarily want to get into this, but I have been shocked and horrified um, at the way you have been treated by several people, um, and no one stood by you. Um, but you, the New York Times made it seem that no one was going to stand up for you, and so you had to solve it. And basically, the way I read it from the Times is you had to go kiss his ring and make it go away and make it stop. So that's not exactly right. Um, okay. I did have people stand up for me, and just so your listeners know, you were one of them. And, that, you know, this is, I'm sure, knowing you, not something you talk about, but just so everybody knows, Glenn would write me the kindest, most supportive, uplifting messages in the darkest days that, you know, offered to help and offered to do anything he could and expressed, of course, genuine concern and just, you were such a gentleman throughout, Glenn, and I just want to make Thank a you, record of that for people. Um, but what had happened with Trump was he, he was... Relentless, you know, he just couldn't let it go. I, and the book documents how, in the initial days after that August debate, I understood he was angry, and I I understood why. It was definitely a tough question for him. I don't regret it, but he was new to the game. All these other guys were seasoned politicians, and he's up there like, "Hey, I'm here to get you ratings," and then it all of a sudden it's a punch in the face, and he's like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> right? So I understood his initial anger, but I didn't really understand how he couldn't let it go. My point is. Roger Ailes did try to stand Trump down many times, but he was unsuccessful. And Sean Hannity, who is tight with Trump, tried to stand Trump down many times, but he was unsuccessful. He, Hannity was successful in getting some more talk radio guys to sort of, you know, not gin up so much hatred at a time when I, I was under serious threat. And I was, you know, having to live my life with bodyguards, which is not how a journalist normally lives or should have to live. Yeah. And so I did have some support, but it just wasn't working. You know, it was like they were trying, but it wasn't working. And, and after nine months of it, Glenn, and the book sort of documents, how just every time I would think it was over, it, it wasn't over. And I'm just talking about, you know, nasty tweets. That we've all been subjected to that. That's, I'm a big girl. I can take it. It was the torrent of nastiness that those would unleash in my life and of threats. I mean, real security threats and People coming to my home and on my doorstep threatening and screaming obscenities at me on the street in front of my children mm. and not being able to go anywhere without an armed guard, including Disney it. World. I mean, it was just like, what the hell is going on here because of a debate question? So in April, memory serves, of 2016, it dawned on me that Trump was never going to let this go, that he was enjoying the storyline and that that meant it would be up to me to write an ending to it. And I knew if I could get in front of him, he would stop. Uh, and there was no apology. I mean, I wasn't, he wanted an apology from me for my debate question. That wasn't happening. I didn't want an apology from him, but I, we had always had a good relationship. So I knew if I could get in there and sit down with him and just talk, we would be okay and he would stop. And that's what happened. There is a theme um, that is going on in the country today, and it's whether or not 
Um, you know, we for years have been told to stop bullying, and what that has meant in the past is no kids, you cannot play dodgeball anymore because you might get hit in the face. There's a difference between the bullying that has been, um, that, you know, that the left has been saying has happened and real bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, um, um, have seen your share of it um, as, you know, the bullying that was happening um, with Donald Trump, the bullying that was happening with Roger Ailes, and it seems as though the country doesn't necessarily care all that much on either side. Is, is that right? Is that how you're feeling? Well, first of all, I know that you have experienced this yourself because there's just something about the way some of Trump's supporters march to the beat of his drum that whenever he sends out a negative message about somebody, it really does wreak havoc in that person's life. And I haven't seen a lot of people talk about it. Eric Erickson has written about it. Um, you know, he got some just terrible death threats to his family. Yeah. And I know you've sub- been subjected to some of that, too, just for being a Trump critic, which is it's America. We, we have dissenting points of view. You know, we as journalists are supposed to be skeptical in our coverage. Um, but yes, I, I do draw a distinction, though, between bullying which my book, Settle for More, talks all about I have had real experience with. I had a brutal seventh grade year in which my group of friends all turned against me, and I was in tears for much of the year and very, very alone with no friends. And it was hard. You know, this is 1983 when you didn't have helicopter parents intervening at every turn. Um, But it does teach you a thing or two. Why Why did they turn against you at seven? Why why is that? Why was that an important story to tell? Well, first of all, who knows, right? These are 12-year-old girls who are just, you know, those are the, can be the meanest zombies you ever <laughs> Terrible. I have, found, I have to tell you, I have found that women, uh, some of the meanest tweets, some of the meanest Facebook posts, and some of the meanest emails I've received, I'll read them and say, this guy is out of control, <laughs> and it will be signed by a woman. I mean, women are nasty at times. Yeah, we can give as good as we get. And, you know, it all begins <laughs> in seventh grade, Glenn. That is, I mean, you can learn a lot about life in the seventh grade. And, um, you know, in the book, I tell this story about, just to take a step back on the bullying, but in the book, I tell this story about how it culminated in, because I used to be popular, and then Sunday, suddenly one day this group, they just turned on me and I had no friends. And they would, you know, flick the spitballs at me and try to trip me in the hall. I used to be overweight. I used to have bad skin. They would make fun of every vulnerability. Wow. And then one Boy, night I was at home. It was a Saturday night. Must be fun going. The girl was having a big party. And I was home alone with my parents. And my phone rang. I said, hello. And she said, you know, it's me. She said, do you know where all the people are from my party? And I said, no. And they all screamed into the phone, we're here. Oh, my God. And they hung up. I hung up the phone in front of my parents who didn't know what had just happened. I lied and told them it was a wrong number. And I went out in my backyard, which had iced over. This is upstate New York, Albany suburb. And there was snow on the ground that had iced over in my sneakers. I went out there, Glenn, I, I put my hands in my pockets, and I sort of skated across the ice in the darkness with tears streaming down my face. And I can 
remember it to this day, you know, just that feeling of ostracization and loneliness and just deep sadness and the desire to connect and feel like you belong. And so, you know, those scars, they take a long time to heal. And the truth is it took me some 20 years before I even really realized what they had done to me, what, what that year had done to me as a person. Uh, so I do take bullying very seriously. And when, when Donald Trump began to act up, again, in the, in the initial phases, it was like, okay, it's a politician who's unhappy with me. I, I'm ex- experienced in that. But when it was so relentless, um, I, I knew I was not going to submit. You know, b- actual bullying is, is intimidation designed to get a certain effect, yeah. you know, to have a certain effect. They, they're looking for compliance, right, to, to cow you. And, and Donald Trump never managed to do that with me. I, I covered him without fear or favor every day of that campaign. And so I feel like it was an attempted bullying, but not an actual bullying, right, because there was no submission. Um, but I will say this, when I came out of the bullying and over the years and thinking about it, I did realize that in dealing with a bully in general, uh, the best course is to send the bully a message that he's nothing to you, right? That there's the good me when you raise a child, the bad me, if you, if you don't pay positive attention to your child, he'll act out badly. And if you don't pay attention to that, the worst thing that you could do to a child is send them the not me message. And I think when you're dealing with a bully, the not me message is the best message you can send. And I think it really irritated Donald Trump over, over the months that I would not respond to him. Uh, but I think that's a, a proven course for how to handle, as an adult, someone who's trying to push you around. Megan, I have uh, talked to several people um, who have expressed the uh, feeling of... Uh, this is not the ending, and it's not, it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has everything to do with the way our society is going and the economy and world affairs, if we don't turn a, a corner here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are saying, I, I want to stand, but uh, it's, it's lonely. It is really, really lonely, and I don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what have you learned from truly standing almost alone or you had to have felt pretty alone even though you did have some people back i'm glad to hear some of the fox people were backing you behind the scenes well i don't define myself by politics or this job or just my identity as a news anchor and that's been key to everything for me and you know in, in this book you know i talk about what what was, a piece of advice that was given to me long ago by one of my first law bosses when I was practicing law, which was in times of trouble, remember who you are. And what does that mean? It means what defines you? You know, who are you? Am I, am I Megan Kelly news anchor? Well, that's something I do, but it's not who I am. You know, I'm, I'm a woman. I'm a person, a woman, a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister. You know, those are the things when I think about who I am, I think about those people who made me those things and the influence they've had on my life and the times we've shared together and the laughter and the tears. And those are the things that are important to me and that if I ever were, God forbid, to lose, would change who I am, you know, would 
deeply affect me in ways I couldn't change back. Not this job, not, you know, who's even in the Oval Office, Glenn. And I think that people should hold on to that because they, they can try to bully you. They can say mean things about you, but they can't change your soul unless you let them. And for me, I feel like you hold on to your integrity, you hold on to your ethics and who you are, which is, of course, really what you do behind closed doors when no one's looking, and you hold on to what you, what you hold most dear in this world. And those things don't tend to change, and they certainly aren't dictated by the Internet or anything anybody says in a public forum. And you'll be good. You know, just keep redirecting yourself to that stuff, remembering who you are, and you'll be good. The name of the book is Settle for More by Megan Kelly. It is out today. Megan, I'd like to, to read the book, and then when things slow down for you, I would like to have you back and talk a little more because I think you are one of the more fascinating people um, uh, in the media today and uh, somebody who actually really tries to be fair and to get it right, and I appreciate that. Thanks, Megan, man. thank you. We'll talk to All you bad. again. Settle okay. for More is the name of the book by Megan Kelly. Back in just a second. Our sponsor this half hour is Simply Safe. Are you able to see what is happening uh, at your home when you are gone, when you're on vacation, when you are going to grandma's house through the woods and over the hills uh, for, for um, Thanksgiving dinner? This is the time when home burglaries really start to skyrocket. And that is because the holidays are coming. People need extra cash or criminals know that you've got extra stuff at your house. Home security is really important and Simply Safe, I think, is the best new kind of home security that, that actually frees you. It doesn't tie you up to a long-term contract. And now they have brand new uh, cameras, Simply Safe security cameras. They connect wirelessly to the sensors in your Simply Safe alarm. So if it detects a door opening, a window opening, a window breaking, somebody trying to get into the house, the camera automatically records everything. So it calls the police, alerts the camera to turn on. It turns it on. It records it. So when the police come, you have the evidence of exactly what happened. You can see everything now that is happening in your home. Go to simplysafebeck.com right now. Check out their new cameras today. Simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. The Glenn Beck Program. Stream the show live on iHeartRadio or listen later on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. Mercury. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn, $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, 
$50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Yeah. What I wanted to say to Megan uh, was... Uh, I would love to be a fly in the wall at your uh, high school reunions. Talk about nice yeah. revenge. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. One of them. Uh, Can you name somebody that you think is... Well, and, and after being tortured by, you know, seventh graders, uh, yeah. to go to that yes. level. And you know she wouldn't do it, but how tempting would it be to call up and say, hey, you know where all the uh, drooling men are? <laughs> here! Oh, here. Oh, and I've got 20 million big ones. I mean, she wouldn't do it, which would make petty people hate her even more because she's just, I don't think she's like that. It would be a satisfying moment. I'm oh, sure. it would be. Maybe that's in the book. We haven't got through the whole book yet. Maybe towards the end, she's like, by the way, I called those seventh <laughs> bees back and... I can yeah. tell him a lesson. Yeah. She's fascinating. She's really fascinating. I mean, it's just it a matter that, you know, this is, it's weird because these things turn from uh, little cable news spats and, and things like that into history. I mean, you know, Donald Trump's oh. the president of the United States in a few couple no, months. This is all. This is all history now. This is all history. This is stuff that gets worked into the, the ridiculously long presidential biography that people will be reading in 30 or 40 years. It's, yeah. it's amazing that we're all going through that. Yeah. And she is a huge part of it. It had to be crazy. Hmm. It's almost like we all should have been keeping diaries because history is being written and this time period will be re- uh, remembered. And it's only going to get more important as we move forward. The Glenn Beck Program. Uh, written a uh, an article says farewell america no matter how much how the rest of the world looked at us on november 7th they will now look at us differently he says america died on november 8th try to take your blood pressure medicine right now please america died on november 8th not with a bang or a whimper but by its own hand via the electoral suicide We, the people, chose a man who has shredded our values, our morals, our compassion, our tolerance, our decency, our sense of common purposes, uh, our our very identity. All of the things that, however, tenuously made our nation out of, uh, uh, made a, a nation out of a country. Whatever place we now live in is the same, not the same place as it was November 7th. No matter how the rest of the world looked at us on November 7th, they will now look at us differently. We're likely to be a pariah country. And we're lost for it. As I surveyed the ruin of the country this gray Wednesday morning, I found, very, uh, found weary consolation uh, in a poem, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to skip the poem. 
Uh, you can read it. It's odd. And um, this generally has been called the hate election because everyone professed to hate both candidates. It turned out to be the hate election because, and let's not mince words, of the hatefulness of the electorate. In the years to come, we will brace for violence, the anger, the racism, the misogyny, the xenophobia, the nativism, the white sense of grievance that will undoubtedly be unleashed now that we have destroyed the values that have bound us. We all knew these hatreds lurked under the thinnest veneer of civility. That civility is finally gone, and in its absence, we may realize how imperative that uh, politeness was. It is the way we manage to coexist. If there is a single sentence that characterizes this election, it is this. He says the things that I am thinking. That may be what is most terrifying. Who knew that so many tens of millions of white Americans were thinking unconscionable things about their fellow Americans? Who knew that the tens of millions of white men felt so emasculated by women and challenged by minorities? Who knew that after years of uh, seeming progress on race, gender, tens of millions of white Americans lived in seething resentment, waiting for the demagogue to arrive who would legitimize their worst selves and channel them into political power. Perhaps we have been living in a fool's paradise, and now we aren't. May I just say this to Neil and anyone who feels that way? It is terrifying. It is truly terrifying to realize that your neighbors don't believe everything you do. In 2008, we could not believe the headlines, we're all socialists now. We could not believe so many people would vote for clearly Marxist um, uh, uh, platforms. We could not believe that people who were involved in communist and radical revolutions of the 60s, who had not changed their point of view were now being held up by people in the highest um, seats of power. Now, we could have. We could have looked at Occupy Wall Street and decided that every single college student in America was a dirtbag. But we didn't. We could have looked at the Bundys standoff and said that um, every NRA member should be stripped of their Second Amendment rights because they're all out-of-control terrorists. But we didn't. We could have looked at Black Lives Matter and said, wow, who knew that the black man underneath a thin veneer was seething resentment and hatred and wanted to kill every police officer? But we didn't. We didn't. We could have, some wanted to, some may even have, but the vast majority of Americans did not. The vast majority of Americans are saying, wait, I can't believe what has happened to our country, to where we are tolerating people in the press is tolerating people, and our president is tolerating people saying, kill the cops. But we didn't make it. We didn't make it about everyone who disagreed with us. And when we did, we were wrong. We were wrong to do it. We 
won't make it if the press and those on the right don't see what we now understand. People did not vote for hatred. Some did. But I'll bet you that is less than 1%. And no more than 5%. Those people who are truly engaged in the Klan, white nationalism, uh, white power, all of that. Just like it's 1% of the left that wants a Marxist revolution in America and would would round up all the white people because they want their own separate nation. We're being held hostage by the fringes of our society. And what's happening to us? We're being ginned up by our own press. Why? Because hatred sells. Because anger sells. We're being told not to listen to each other. That if you even sit down with the other side, you're a traitor. And, and to the people on the left, if you don't think that's happening, how many people have you heard in your own circle saying, I'm so mad at CNN for putting Glenn Beck on? Because Glenn Beck, he's, he's part of the problem. He's a hater. He's trying to, whatever, fill in the blank. You're a traitor and a danger to your people by sitting down with someone who is trying to say, let's stop this right now. Please, let's stop this. And the same with my side. I sit down with the New York Times, who honestly says to me, I can't, I can only take them at their word I can also not be stupid and know that there's a chance they're not going to do this. But they sit down and say, okay, we have become this left-wing thing and there's no good that comes out of that. We need to understand your side. Okay, good. So here's what I've learned that the vast majority of people in America on both sides right now are afraid. And when people are afraid, that's when demagogues come from both sides. Look at what's being said right now. You are being pushed, the left is being pushed in one of two ways. I think the wise are coming to the table and they're saying, you know what, maybe we we need to sit down. I got a great email from somebody last night who is on the left and said, I have never agreed with anything you've ever said, ever. But I heard you speak. And while I disagree with X, Y, and Z, it's made me look at our side. You know what, you're right. We were doing these things. We are doing these things right now. And they're the things that we accused you guys of doing. Yes. Yes. There is no reason why a president should be able to make half the country afraid. 
It's why I said in November of 2008, Democrats, be careful how far you push the pendulum. We pushed the pendulum so far to red, white, and blue, the Patriot Act. You're either with us or you're our enemy. We pushed it so far to the patriotic right that it means that the flag meant nothing but republicanism. That when it swung back, it swung back to a guy who didn't even want to wear a lapel, a flag lapel pin, and really didn't, really was ashamed of America and went on an apology tour. Now the pendulum has swung back the other way. Please, to those on the right, do not swing it. Please moderate. And to those on the left, please learn from what you just went through. And this is what you should learn. What I said in 2008 is, don't push the pendulum. And all the way through Barack Obama's presidency, I said, dismantle things like the IRS. Dismantle the office of the president from being a a, a monarchy. You don't want the president to be able to sign executive order after executive order after executive order and change the very nature of our country. Congress has to fight for its power back. You didn't want to hear it because your guy was in charge. And I said, there's going to come a time when you lose power. And when you lose power, you won't like this when it's done against you. And most likely our side will cheer. And suddenly we'll be for it. And we'll have to say, no, don't be for it because you too are going to lose the office and you won't like what will happen when they're in power. We keep injuring one another. And eventually someone is going to figure this out at the top and they're going to say, you know what? Nobody else is going to get the power. There will be an event and that person, whoever it is, right or left, will just seize power and say, that's it. We must Understand, California, you have every right to be who you want to be. You have every right to be who you want to be. But you have the responsibility to pay for it yourself. Texas, same thing with you. You have every right to be who you want to be. When the president yesterday spoke of globalism and nationalism, this is what he missed. When we say globalism, we don't want globalism. It doesn't mean we don't want to trade with our neighbors. Now, nationalists, true populist nationalists from the alt-right, they don't want any of that. They want isolationism. The average person doesn't. We want a fair shake. We want a fair deal. But we also want our uniqueness. We want to be able to say, hey, America's a pretty great place. And if it wasn't, people wouldn't be coming across our borders to, to live here. It's a pretty great place. And Canadians can say, you know what, I love Canada. It's a pretty great place. And Germans can say, I love Germany. No, I'm not Europe. I'm German. We are all unique. God gave us all fingerprints. And as nations, all of those millions of fingerprints shape something unique. We don't want to all be the same. But that doesn't mean we want to be isolationists. 
And that's what people are missing. The, the middle ground is let people be who they are. Let state, let people be who they are. Let people choose their own religion, their own lifestyle, their own partner in marriage. Let them choose themselves. Let businesses choose the way to do business and pay the full ramifications of their choices. Either reap the rewards or reap the losses. Countries and states need to be who they are and reap the rewards or the losses. That's that's all that people are saying right now. And that's something that we should all be able to generally agree on. We, we said a million times about the warning. We should go over this more about the warning of you pass all these executive power levels yes. levers for Barack Obama. You're going to hate it when someone else gets control of that. We should talk about that whole because that's coming uh, it and it's going to feel really good sometimes. Change is coming. However, how we prepare for it is what's most important. The financial bubble that burst, the confrontations with Russia, China, ISIS, riots on the streets. If your family member is out of work for a while... I don't know what's coming, but this, is, this was not the end of it. This is the end of the beginning of it. I want to urge you to get a one-year emergency food supply. Take the fear out of your own life. For uh, $997, this is usually about $1,800, bucks. for nine ninety seven, you can get one year's worth of food. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a year. For a family of four, that's three full months of every meal covered. For nine ninety seven, about half off. Call eight hundred nine four six twenty three twenty five eight hundred nine four six twenty three twenty five, or go to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. to the uh, program. It was an interesting conversation with Megan Kelly uh, earlier today. Yes, it was. Uh, we started the uh, first hour. It was nice to hear um, her say that, and I have not heard this anywhere else, uh, that Sean Hannity behind the scenes was trying to rally talk radio um, and her uh, defense. taking on the Trump campaign. Yeah, from the back on down. Very good. Really, I mean, that's obviously he, he he fan of Trump, and but I mean, to do that is a really, I mean, that's a really cool thing to do for someone you work with. So, I mean, uh, he yep. deserves credit for that. I hate, I don't like watching uh, the news, especially two of my friends, Megyn Kelly and Bill O'Reilly. I like both of them. I like both of them. Um, I don't like my friends being at war with each other. You know, and it was nice to hear that not all of that is true, that what you might be reading in the papers or whatever, not all of that is true. And to come from Megan herself is very nice. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. 